Welcome to another episode of Sworn Testimonies, the podcast where I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. This week on the podcast, I have Chica. Not only is Chica a former coworker of mine, but she is a marketing executive and a colorism expert. We had a great conversation on colorism in the black community. Stay tuned. Just be honest, 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 just be real, just be true, it's the only way to be free. Just be honest, it's the only way to be free. Just be real, just be true, it's the only way to be So, Chica, can you tell me or our listeners just a little bit about um, who you are and what you do? Yes. Um, so I am Chica. Um, so a little bit about me. So currently I'm a marketing professional working in e-commerce. Um, and outside of my day job, I'm a public speaker. So chatting about all things, you know, women empowerment, focus on Black women, women of color, and really trying to understand how, you know, our race and identity, how we can understand that and see that as a source of empowerment. That's awesome. You said that so succinctly, like it's been practiced. Um, no, if anything, I'm like, I need to get better at making it more succinct. So I know we actually had the privilege of working together, um, and I, but I didn't know until recently about your TED Talk, uh, which mm-hmm. went viral and has so many uh, views. And I actually went back and watched it, and I was really impressed. And you talked a lot about colorism. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that TED Talk and what inspired it? Yes. So that came about in a um, in in an unexpected way. So I gave that talk while I was at grad school. So while I was in business school at Stanford, they had a public speaking kind of workshop, kind of like, like a course. It was about half a semester long. And I've always liked public speaking. Like, you know, back in high school, I did debate club, but I did original oratory. So I've always liked speaking. And so I really wanted to use that particular class to just continue to hone my public speaking skills. And the way that class is set up, it's actually taught by past TEDx speakers and past TEDx coaches. And it's um, an opportunity to you know, increase the public speaking skills. And so they say, you know, you can speak on any topic of your choice. You know, they, you know, pick, pick the topic. And the main thing is just, you know, learning different skills. And so I, mean, I had signed up for that class and I had the summer to, you sign up for that class the summer or the year before. You kind of have the summer to kind of think about, you know, what, what do you want to talk about? And that summer was summer of 2015 when the movie Spit Out Compton came out. And I love that movie. Like I said in my talk, I love that movie. I really did see it three times in theaters. And I feel like the summer of 2015, to me, that kind of felt like the, like in the start of this kind of resurgence of like this, what I'll call a black renaissance in Hollywood. You know, that was before Moonlight, you know, before Black Panther, uh, before Get Out. You know, I feel like that was like the beginning of like a lot of these majority black cast and black um, black stories that got very wide viewership, you know, beyond beyond a niche viewership. And so I loved it. Like I was so excited because I'm from LA. So like I felt a lot of, I felt very represented through this movie and just, I felt very connected to this movie in in just a a strange way. And so when that scandal came out of the casting call, that to me was like a slap in the face. It was, and so it was just like that juxtaposition of that feeling of 
at first feeling seen and heard and valued, but then that reminder of like, as a darker skinned black woman, you are not as valued, you know, and you are not as, um, as wanted or as worthy. And it's, you know, colorism is something that I and I'm sure other, you know, brown skin girls have dealt with for, you know, for a long time. And so this was just like a slap in the face reminder that even within the community that's supposed to be my home, um, you know, we're still met with, with discrimination. And I remember at that moment, I'm like, that's what I want to give my talk about. And so, you know, the audience was really just my classmates. Um, and, you know, Stanford is a predominantly white institution. So it was very much so educating my classmates about, you know, what colorism is and an opportunity for me to share more of myself with my peers. I know this is something that I've always struggled with and it's something that you know, I'm continuing to work through. So that's who the talk was developed for. And like I mentioned, the, the professor, he, he runs the TEDx program at our, at our university. And so he asked me to reprise that talk for the conference. And so I gave it there. And then when, um, when it launched, then it kind of became, got more widespread visibility. So, you know, I, I watched your episode of Red Table Talk, which that's like one of my favorite shows ever. Um, and I'm so jealous that you got to sit mm -hmm. in the presence of Jada, although I know that's not the point You're of this conversation. Girl. You're next <laughs> Listen, I receive it. I receive it. Um, so I watched that episode and I know that they went a little bit in detail talking about, you know, what the scandal was surrounding the movie. Uh, so quickly for people that may not have been familiar, uh, can you talk about what it is you found with the casting notice? Yes. So the casting call laid out the different categories of women that they're looking for and went from A to D. Um, and, it, you know, A was the best, D was the worst. And, you know, the description of the A girls was like, you know, hottest of hot models. And interestingly enough, I remember it listed out, you know, all these different races that did not say black, uh, but for all these different races, you know, it's so beautiful long hair. And it got to the B girls, it was like, you know, light skin, you know, long natural real hair. Beyonce was a prototype, which me and my friends were like, how was Beyonce not an A girl? But anyways, and then the C girls was, you know, was like medium skin tone, um, you know, could could have a weave. And we got back down to the D girls, it was like dark skin, poor, out of shape. Like it was just so clearly, you know, from best to worst. And then just seeing that, like, you know, in black and white, in print, just showing that, you know, this vision of an A-girl is not a brown-skinned woman. And, you know, and it's something that subconsciously we all know, you know, like we see it on TV, we see it in the media, who they cast for specific roles. And so it was, it's just so disheartening to see that even today, or I guess at that time, 2015, like it's literally written into the casting call of who they're casting in certain roles and what they look like. Wow, I resonate with that so much. I I was just talking to a friend about growing up in like the late 90s, 2000s and watching like so many music videos. Like I loved music videos. I loved 106 and Park and all of that. Right. And I right. Um and I just have like very like strong memories 
of very vivid memories of watching those videos and seeing lots of light-skinned girls with long, naturally curly hair and thinking, mm -hmm. huh, if these are the women that are considered beautiful and, mm -hmm. you know, specifically even thinking about uh, Pharrell, the Pharrell Snoop Dogg song, Beautiful, there were so many like mixed mm -hmm. looking women. I was like, number one, I'm darker skinned and my hair doesn't look like that. Does that mean mm -hmm. I'm not beautiful? And number two, all these women that they're talking about are so beautiful, are taking off all of their clothes and showing their bodies. Right. So is that something that I have to do in order to be considered beautiful and not even recognizing how much that had affected uh, me growing up? Did you have similar experiences? Oh, yeah. No, definitely. I was chatting about this with someone the other day. I was you know, even even before we had a name for it, right? So even before I knew that like this was specifically called colorism, you know, you still you you see it, right? Like you 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 notice it, like right, you know, who's who's the main love interest, although it's in a music video and TV show and a movie, and what do they look like? And it's it was just such a clear pattern. And then you see it playing out in real life, you know, like um, just so many examples where you see it just playing out who's the one getting quote unquote chosen, you know? So um, it's, and then, so then you internalize those signals. Um, you know, typically it's not so we get older and we have more maturity to realize that, you know, we don't need that outside validation. But when you're younger, you know, all you want is to fit in and be wanted and be seen and to be recognized. So you know, it, it, it can be really damaging when you don't see yourself reflected. And how, um, for you growing up, how did it affect uh, your personal, like, self-esteem or self-image, or did it at all? Yeah, no, the thing is, it, it definitely did. It, it's funny, because it's like, I didn't have a name for it, and there was a specific moment when I feel like it all clicked. This It was in high school, and I was at the mall, but two friends of mine, one, another brown skin girl who's pretty similar complexion to me, another friend, she was mixed, she was black and Mexican. Very light skin, the loose curls, all of that. So we're walking through the mall and all the guys are making a beeline for my friend that's mixed. And my other friend who was brown skinned at the end of the evening, like she was, you know, she was all upset and she was like, oh, that's not fair. Like all the guys only like her because she's light skinned. And I remember when she said that, it was like a light bulb went off of like, oh, like that's, that's what's been happening. And then it's like, once you see something, you, you don't unsee it. Um, where, so before I like, I, I wasn't quite putting it together. It's like, I was noticing that, you know, definitely wasn't as uh, popular, you know, or just wasn't as, you know, desirable or you know but definitely wasn't getting as much male attention as my as my peers I mean I did not grow up in a neighborhood with a lot of black people so at first I was attributed to well, it was because I'm black but then as I found myself in more black settings still being looked over and it was like oh that's what's going on and then you just you, you see it you really really see it all playing out um just throughout life and it and it, it took me a a very long time to unlearn the negative internal internalizing that that I had done. Did you have uh, these conversations growing up, like with your parents at home? Is 
Is this something you guys talked about or is this something you only talked about with your friends or did you internalize it? Yeah, I know something I only talk about with my friends, which, which is unfortunate, right? Because friends don't probably don't give the, the right perspective. Um, so yeah, so it definitely wasn't something that was talked about in the home. I think, you know, when I think about my hypothetical daughters, I feel like I'm doing everything for my hypothetical daughters in the future. It's definitely something I um, will, will not and be aware of. You know, my boyfriend is African-American, so we will have brown skin chocolate babies. And so, you know, definitely don't want them to be getting all their messages from outside. Um, yeah, because for me, um, and I was always more of a quiet, introverted person. So I just completely internalized everything and just had harbored so much anger and resentment and, you know, a ton of negative feelings that really weighed me down for a very long time whereas maybe a conversation with an adult that I trusted and that who I loved maybe could have helped um intercept wow and you know it's so interesting even you know hearing you say that because I think a lot of times as black women we we have that like strong black women stereotype where people just assume we can do anything and we can tackle everything and there aren't really a lot of spaces where we're allowed to be vulnerable and say hey i struggle hey i'm insecure um you know learning those or having to unlearn what it means to be a darker skinned black female in america uh, what helped you to do that were there books were there people like what did you turn to in order to like gain that self-confidence yeah no that's a good question that's a good question it's interesting i actually feel like that ted talk reignited my personal journey and growth because i would say i think what a lot of Black women do is, you know, we compartmentalize and that's how we're able to be viewed as this strong woman, you know, like I, like Val and I just completely compartmentalize and I focus on my studies and career and I never dealt with that hurt and that pain because I didn't want to. It's not fun. Who wants to deal with that? Um, it, it wasn't until later in life that I got over the therapy stigma and, you know, as you said, to, to deal with some of these things. And I just, um suppressed it and you know that you can only do that for so long um and so you know giving this ted talk i think was step one in my healing because like i said the audience was really was originally just my classmates and um a way for me to to be vulnerable on personal growth and that kind of prompted this reflection of really under of saying you know, how can i shake these burdens I've been carrying, you know, how do I truly deal with it? And I know since then I'm a big fan of therapy. I found my therapist in the Therapy for Black Girls directory. Um, Can we talk about that? Um, So, you know, so therapy, we know that there's often a stigma in the Black community um, about being too blessed to be stressed. Are you, uh, do you go to church? Are you Christian? Have you had, have you heard people say this to you before? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, especially in the black church, there's this idea that you should like pray it away and God can take it away and we can handle anything. And granted, don't get me wrong. I love God. I love black Jesus. uh, But I do think that, you know, taking care of our, our mental health is important. 
um, when you first started going to therapy, uh, were there ideas about therapy that you had to battle? And is was it something that you were like ready and excited to tell your friends about? Or were you cautious about who you shared that information with? Yeah, no, I was, I was so nervous. And I say I kind of like did a therapy for beginners. At first I started with Talkspace. I don't know if you heard Talkspace. It's like, uh, it's, it's teletherapy. You text, you text them. Yes. So I, just, yes. Um, I don't know. I was just so scared to like go in person. So it definitely took a while for me to work my up way up to meeting someone in person, even though right now it's all virtual because of quarantine. Um, but yeah, so I, I, at first I was very, uh, very hesitant. It actually wasn't until the thing that really broke the ice is my my sister did it first. And so I'm like, okay, okay, my sister can do it, then then I could try it. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's it's still very. It, it's definitely less accepted than than other communities, which is really unfortunate because I do feel like us as a black community, we have a lot of baggage we need to unpack. I almost think that black people should have free therapy <laughs> for all the baggage we need to unpack. Yes. Um, and so definitely, you know, I think we do ourselves a disservice. And I think I did myself a disservice for waiting so long to really, you know, tackle a lot of my inner demons. What for you, um, I, I'm interested to know what about therapy uh, you found to be helpful because I admittedly, like I hated my first couple of sessions. I was like, I'm just telling this person. And again, I also, uh, found a black therapist because I was like, I need someone to understand that piece of me. But I felt like I was just telling this person like random facts about my life and nothing was changing. And it wasn't until like maybe four or five sessions in that I was like, Whoa, like I'm really starting to uncover some truths that I've believed for so long that aren't true. Um, mm -hmm. And, but was there a moment for you where you were like, wow, this is actually really helpful. And like, I'm glad that I'm doing this. Yeah, no, when I, when I first started, and I'll say even before I joined Talkspace, even in grad school, we had a lot of um, professional development coaches to help us because a lot of times people go to business school because they're pivoting in their career or trying to find out what they're, what they want to do. Um, pretty much a lot of people are in their quote unquote quarter life crisis and so that so I kind of was used to chatting with people in that forum um, so I feel like that was like the first first beginner and then when I joined Talkspace I did not have a black therapist there um, but I remember I was working through a very specific um, dilemma it was like a it was a relationship and a career career issue and so I remember when once those came to a close, I remember I realized that as we're peeling through the layers, the next layer that I really need to understand is tied with identity and how I view myself as a black woman. And I'm like, this white woman bless her heart, but you know, I know that she she's probably not gonna be able to um really give me what I need in in that arena. And so that's when I consult that's when I heard about the therapy for Black Girls directory and found one that worked with my insurance. And with her, what I find is it's a reminder that at the end of the day, I need to do the work. Like I could come into every session and just talk and whatever, but like 
when she asks me that provocative question, like I need to actually go back and like think about it and allow myself to feel the emotions that thinking about this question she asked is going to bring up for me. And then, and, but if I don't do that, then I can't get mad at anyone for not making progress. So what I learned is that, you know, they'll, they'll ask the right question. They'll ask the provocative question. Um, but it's on me to do the work to actually take the time to really think about it and answer it. And I, I think the re some of the reasons why maybe I haven't in the past is because I don't want to deal with the emotions that thinking through that question will bring up. No, that's so, it's so real. It really is you doing the work. I think I thought going into therapy, like the other person was responsible for fixing me. And then I realized very quickly, oh no, they're just guiding me and helping me like in quotation marks, fix myself. Like mm -hmm. I have to do this work. Um, so I think it's, it's great that you, um, that you bring that up. And I want to talk to you, uh, you mentioned, you know, your college experience and, you know, I met you in a working world, working in like a predominantly white environment. Mm -hmm. So did you ever consider going to an HBCU or uh, was that really not something on your mind and why or why not? Yeah, no, good question. I, I thought about it briefly. It's, yeah, I, didn't, I actually didn't know much about HBCUs growing up. My, my family's from Nigeria, so I grew up in an immigrant household. Um, and so I remember, I think, it was, I think it was middle school or high school when all those movies came out, like Drumline. I remember watching them being like, oh my gosh, like I want that life. Um, but like, not, I didn't know, I didn't have that many family members or, or anything like that who, who had gone to an HBCU. But even though I didn't go to an HBCU, I remember when I was looking at colleges, I, it was a pretty much requirement that that university I went to had a strong black community um, because you know, all throughout high school, I was you know, one of the few black people in my school and always the only black person in my classes. And I was like, never again. Like I have no, well, not never again, but just that was not the experience I wanted for college. And so I remember when I went to my different admin weekends, I was like, where's the, where's the BSU? Where's the BSA? Like where, where are the, you know, BSA events? Um, and I was fortunate in that I was able to find a strong black community. I'm a university. Yeah, no, I think that's really important um, community. And, you know, on that topic, too, I also went to a predominantly white institution, University of Virginia, but I made a lot of great black friends, which I didn't have in, in high school, not very many, at least. Uh, and there was always that notion of like, why are the black people self-segregating? Like, why, do why they are have... all the black people sitting together at lunch? Yes. Why are all the Black people sitting together? Um, and not that you can speak for every Black person because you can't, uh, but do you have a response to people who might ask you a question like that? Yes. Um, one of my friends puts it so well, you know, I feel like a lot of non-Black people, when they see the quote unquote Black table, they're like, oh my gosh, self-segregation. I'm like, but it's not segregation, it's, it's congregation. You know, like this, you're we're looking at least I'll say I personally I was I'm looking for a safe for a safe space where I can explore this part of my identity which is a huge part of of our identity as black people I think you know 
there's so much rhetoric, not so much anymore, but I feel like before, you know, you hear a lot of people say, I don't see color and that's just one part of your identity. Yeah, but it's, it's a big part. It's a very big part. And so it's always so strange to me when it's like that we have to try and act like this huge part of who we are, just like act like that's not there. Like that's, that's just a huge part of who we are. And like part of growing as a person is understanding, you know, this part of your identity. And, you know, for me personally, I think a lot of people who I found with at the Black table came from environments where we just didn't have that opportunity to congregate with other like-minded Black people. And it's like, you know, in, there's in so many spaces, we're the minority. In so many spaces, you know, whether it's in our class, in our work environment, maybe those that do different extra extracurriculars. So it's like, yeah, when you have the opportunity to congregate with like-minded folks who can who you share a life experience with, um, that's just so valuable. And it's, you know, it's like people talk about the proverbial black table, but there's also the white table that no one says anything about because I think to the naked eye that just looks normal because it's like, well, it's a predominantly white university. So of course mm -hmm. there's a white table. No, I think that's so real. Uh, and like, I definitely respond very similarly, similarly and like, like to tell people, like sometimes I just want to know what it feels like not to be the minority. Like, I just want to know what that feels like. Um, and having, you know, lots of black friends or being in spaces with lots of black people for one of the few times in my life, I don't feel like the minority. I'm not constantly thinking about the fact that I'm different or what makes me different, uh, which frees my mind up to be able to like communicate and show up as like the real me, you know, not mm -hmm. like the me that's like trying to balance who I am with who's around me. Um, so yeah. I, I definitely, definitely resonate with that. Uh, so, you know, you have your college experience and then you graduate um, and, you know, you working in institutions or predominantly white spaces, have you found it kind of challenging sometimes to be like the only black person in the room? And if so, in what ways? Yeah, no, because I've, I've kind of always been in either, you know, PWI, predominantly white institutions or like, you know, corporate, corporate, corporate. Um, and I think I've always, I've been lucky in that I, I've always tried to find a Black community, um, uh, Black mentors. And so that has really, really helped. You know, I started my career at Procter & Gamble, huge CPG company. Uh, but one of the benefits of working in a huge well-established company like that is that they actually do a really good job of having affinity groups and mentors and, you know, I got my job because of my mentor from, from the Black Affinity Group. Like, he was like, look, we're gonna meet every week, you know, take me through your projects, you know, giving me advice. And, and then I paid it forward. Uh, before I left, I was in charge of the Black Internship Program. And when I was there, or when I was in charge of it, we had the most amount of Black interns accept their offers. And because that was my mission. I'm like, you know, we need to be strong as a community and really, you know, help and mentor. And so I think how I survived in a lot of predominantly white institutions is finding, is trying to find a way to build and develop a black community within that space. 
Oh, yeah, that's, I totally align with that a hundred percent. Do you feel like you have experiences where, especially with, you know, I, it's, it's weird to say everything happening now because systematic oppression has been going on for so long, uh, right. but I feel like lots of people who have never paid attention are paying attention now. Uh, do you feel like sometimes you're asked to speak on behalf of the black community? Like, does that get tiring for you? Do you like to be singled out as like the black girl with the opinion or is it something, or is it like a burden you wish that you didn't have to carry? Yeah. So I typically do not like being the only black voice and that, I feel like that's what makes this moment so interesting. Cause now, now everyone notices by everyone. I mean, not white, non-black people are like, Oh my gosh, like racism is a, is still exists today. Oh my gosh. What should we do? black person tell me what to do I'm like oh my gosh um so I you know I think everyone plays different roles in this in this movement and I think what I've learned for myself is I it's very draining for me to uh be the one educating the the non-black people or to to be the one reaching across uh, just me personally, very draining for me. But there's other people that do it really well, and it's energizing for them. And they, you know, they they want to really build those connections. I think what what I've learned, I've kind of had to try to set some boundaries for myself. Is you know, I don't, I I don't really like that. I don't like feeling like I need to speak for all black people. I don't uh, want to be the one to call out a microaggression and to turn every moment into a teachable moment about why that offended me. That's just very personally draining for me. I feel like, um, I don't know if you watch Insecure or, uh, or if your listeners watch Insecure, but yeah, really random. This really random, if you remember season one, uh, this is back when Issa was still working at that nonprofit. And um, I think it's like season one, episode one and all the white people are like, Issa, what does on fleek mean? And she's just like, I don't know. But in her mind, she's like, I know what that shit means. Like, that's how I feel. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to be the one to educate you on all the lingo. Like, I just don't want to be that person. I feel like like my, what my role is in this movement is being a resource and a mentor to other Black people. And how do I help Black people understand uh, themselves and be introspective and like you know view their black identity through a lens that's empowering um yeah so I'm I'm more so doing the work within the community as opposed to reaching across different communities if that makes sense no it does and I think it's such a great point um it's it's interesting like you say because you know my heart is that like our non-Black brothers and sisters gain a better understanding of, you know, Black contribution to the United States and Black oppression and white privilege and just all of these things that we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. That being said, I don't always want to be the person to do that work because it is exhausting and the conversations are long and, and sometimes I'm split. Like, okay, I want to do this work. I want you to have an understanding, but also, you know, just keeping it real. The name of my pro- 
podcast is sworn testimonies and it's very honest. Mm-hmm. Like slavery was predicated on free black labor, labor. It depended on free black labor. So what mm-hmm. you're asking me to do by educating you for free, teaching you for free, mm-hmm. having conversations for free, for me sometimes feels like stepping back into a slave mentality. Mm-hmm. Like it is not yep. necessarily my job to like work for you for free. And even in a space where you consider yourself trying to like learn and do better, you're still expecting me to show up for free, uh, which is really, really problematic. And I actually had a a, a few friends, to, I'm from Virginia, so, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a more Southern town in Virginia, uh, a, f- a few friends that have gotten really angry at me was unwilling to give my time in that moment, in that space to talk about, you know, whatever racial issues they wanted to talk about. And I was like, whoa, hold on, time out. Since when did you feel like you were, you were entitled to like, yeah, my time. Like I have to come when you call this. I'm not your slave. Mm -hmm. That's deep. That is very deep. And that reminds me, um, I went to this talk at this workshop and it was it was based on like female founders or like female entrepreneurs or something like that. And they're saying, you know, never let someone come and just be like, hey, just just want to pick your brain on this, um, on, on, on for this idea I have targeting women or hey, let me just pick your brain. They're like, no, that is a $150 an hour consulting fee. Mm-hmm. A hundred. And even finding the confidence to be able to uh, say that. And that was like a very long like lesson for me. And I think we can connect mm-hmm. it to gender, being a female, we can connect it to color, but basically realizing like, wait a second, what I have to offer the world is valuable. And for mm-hmm. me, it's really not about the money, right? Like I'm not even, I don't know if you are or aren't, but I'm not extremely money driven. Um, but I am like value and respect driven. And so mm-hmm. if you feel entitled to my time and don't want to show me that you appreciate that in some capacity with some offering, I feel like you don't respect me. And that's where I have right. a problem. Right. So yeah, well said. Um, thank you. Snaps. I think we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you too um, is because I do feel like we have a lot, probably have a lot of um, similar experiences and like our upbringing and like, you know, how we deal with or the type of situations that we've found ourselves in because of working in corporate America and going to predominantly white institutions and by a lot of standards being considered in quotation marks, which I hate the exception, right? It's mm-hmm. like, there's black people, and I don't know how I feel about black people, but like, you're well-spoken, you're educated, mm-hmm. like, I feel okay about you. Um, and I, I also know those distinctions can even, you know, travel not just to uh, colorism, as, we, as we've discussed about, not just to socioeconomic status or to education, but also in terms of like origin. Um, and mm-hmm. my little sister, she's in college, she has a lot of uh, friends from like African, well, I guess we're all African descent, but uh, people who were actually born in Africa that came here later. Um, and some of them have kind of expressed to her, well, you know, this isn't really our fight. This is an African American fight. And we haven't really experienced those things as a people. Um, how do you feel about that? Or do you feel like being Nigerian or having Nigerian family has influenced how you see, you know, African Americans and like the movement taking place now? I have quite a bit to say to say about that. Um, yeah, so you know, growing up in an 
in an immigrant household, it's, it's been very interesting. And even I've seen the, even the change amongst my parents, because, you know, my parents, they came here um, in, in the 80s. And, um, you know, I think at first they kind of had this mindset of, you know, we're, we're, we're African, we're immigrants. But then I think over time, they kind of realized that, you know, immigrant or not, in the U.S., you're Black. And when you're Black, that means certain things. Um, and so, it's, you know, I've always almost felt like I had one foot, one foot in, one foot out of like a dual identity. Because at home, I'm Nigerian. But when I step out in the world, I'm Black. You know, like, you know, some people can kind of be like, oh, I like if they're familiar with like other Africans, then maybe are like, oh, I could kind of tell, but not really, other than maybe my name. And so that that was always a dynamic I was really interested in. I actually wrote my senior thesis on um, Black identity from the mindset of Black immigrants and Black Americans. On um, one, how did these two groups? view whether or not they were part of the black community and whether or not they felt like they had a a responsibility towards the black community mm -hmm. and spoiler alert no need to read the whole 100 pages but both groups felt, felt like they're part of the black community and both groups feel like they do have a responsibility to the black community and so i think that just shows that you know there there is this thread and there is this you know one ship amongst us you know almost like whether, whether we like it or not and it's it is really interesting sometimes when i'll hear the ignorant comments it, it, it it's ignorance um from uh, you know black immigrants that try to separate themselves because you know racism and i like to say it's really anti-blackness anti-blackness is worldwide anti-blackness is worldwide and so you know, when you when you see immigrants trying to distance themselves, if anything, that's just further proving the like the fact that there there is this this feeling of of anti blackness and you know there's it's a zero sum game when when folks are just trying to distance themselves. Like that doesn't make any sense. And it was I um I studied abroad in Cuba in college. And it was just interesting because everyone's like, well, Cuba and Brazil, it's melting pot. Oh my gosh, racial, racial harmony. Absolutely not. Um, definitely, if you are, you know, darker skin tone, more African features, you are still at the bottom. The only difference is now if you are maybe mixed, you have a bit more, more status. But, you know, there's still a very clear thread of anti-Blackness that I think, you know, it nobody wins when we try when we're trying to divide ourselves and you know i want to ask you too at this stage at this point in your life uh, when you look in the mirror and you see your skin and your hair texture and your features uh, do you feel like you are like confident in who you are and like really love yourself I'm very far on my journey to getting there. And for people that are maybe on that journey, maybe not as far along, um, what advice would you give to to those people in like 
learning how to like embrace what the world for so long has said is not beautiful. Yeah, I think one of the biggest advice that I'll say is to, you know, as soon as we can, really letting go of this idea of, of external validation. Because, you know, American society was not built to affirm the Black woman. You know, it, 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 it was not. And there's a lot of people doing great work to change that. Uh, but change can be slow. And so, you know, we need to be able to find that validation within ourselves and to, you know, not, especially as women, you know, we can't judge ourselves on how much attention did I get? You know, how much, uh, you know, how popular did someone think I am? I think today that really extends to social media. You know, we can't be trying to hope how much likes do, do we get? Um, you know, there's, there's so many things in place to make us want to look externally to validation, but that's a, that's a trap. <laughs> we were not like, you know, the um, things aren't, aren't set up to, to validate us. And so we really need to be able to validate ourselves and not be dependent on the outside to, to tell us that we're worthy. And that's, I, I wish I had known that decades ago. Yeah, I was literally getting ready to say, I wish I could go back um, in time to my 13 year old self, like, mm -hmm. and give her that message, because I do think it's so, so important. Um, and in, in this journey of learning to kind of like love yourself the way that you were created, how, how did it affect like your dating life? Like, I know you mentioned that you have a boyfriend now, which is beautiful. I love uh, black love. I love love in general. Uh, but how did your, you know, your self-esteem and the way you saw yourself affect you in relationship? Yeah, no, great question. Um, I actually, so, um, so ever since you saw me, you know, ever since you see me, you always see me with my, with my shortcut, you know, hashtag big chop. But before then, you know, I was rocking the weeds, rocking the braids, all of that. And you know, I had always thought that I just did that because, you know, that, that's what Black women do, you know, Black girl magic, you know, we change up our hair. But it, when I looked inside myself, I realized it was shame. I was just so ashamed of my, of my natural hair. And so I took a big step and chopped it all off. And I remember when I did that, I remember I kind of was like, you know what, Chica, I might be single for a while, you know, and it's just, that's fine because I don't need a man. I can do battle by myself, you know, and that was part of my my process to to let go of the desire for external validation. But if anything, I feel like what it did is I think it helped um, me find more substantive, but just like higher quality guys, um, and it's you know, guys that value, you know, that's like they saw me in my short hair and um, they're like, oh, wow, you know, she, she must be confident. She must be, you know, like, I feel like they attributed so many great characteristics when they see, you know, a brown skin girl rocking a shortcut. Um, and so I actually feel like it helps me attract uh, quality folks. And, you know, the guy I'm dating right now, he's like, so like, um, introspective so pro-black community like just such great values that like 
I don't know if I would have attracted if I was still rocking the, you know, 22 inch, you know, human hair, all of that. Like, don't get me wrong. That's fun. It's fun to, to rock it sometimes. Um, but I do think as I got more confident in myself, it helped me um, attract more quality guys. No, I think um, that's such a great point. And, you know, I always say two people can do the exact same thing for different reasons. One could be healthy, one could be unhealthy. Um, So someone could be 100% single because they are like, you know, I need this time to like self-reflect and I'm really confident or someone could be single and be like depressed and like crying every night. Uh, Mm -hmm. And in the same way with, you know, with hair, I feel like you can, you know, rock long hairstyles, braided hairstyles, all these different hairstyles, because you're super, super confident in who you are and you like to be able to change it up. Or we can like mask something and be hiding something and be running away. And I do think it's really hard. Well, at least I can't say for everybody. When I went through the decision to to like be natural initially, it was like really hard for me to accept the fact that I was afraid of my natural hair because then there was this whole like identity thing. Like, well, do you just not like yourself? And I used to even, I went through a stage where like I would only let men see me with a weave in. And I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. if he sees me without a weave, like he's going to think I'm not pretty. I'm not going to be good enough. And that is a crazy thought to have. But that's a thought a lot of us have. And it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's it's not our fault. (laughs) You know, we're, we're unlearning these things. So good. Um, and I, I just like really appreciate this conversation that we've had today. Um, I appreciate that you are doing the work within the black community and, you know, just like reaching back and having, you know, conversations with people and empowering people who in within our community who really need it. And I was really excited to get on the phone with you too. Um, and again, we like did work together, but we didn't, I don't necessarily know, especially uh, just given the location of where we were both working, uh, we yeah. didn't get to do relationship as closely as I would have liked. Um, but I'm glad we're on the phone now. And, you know, before we get off, is there anything that you kind of want to leave uh, with people who might be listening? I know I, I have a lot of like both black and white listeners. I think that it's really awesome that I have like a diverse, um, a diverse listener group because yeah, i as somebody who is very pro-Black, I also am very pro-integration, like integration, and not everyone feels mm-hmm. that way. Um, but for people who are, are listening or who are thinking about systematic racism or hear all of these things, and they're like, this is so unfair, the world isn't right, uh, what can I do? I know I've had so many people ask that question, and everybody, I'm sure, has a different response. Uh, but for someone who's listening who really wants to attack some of these issues of like, systematic oppression and racism like what what advice would you give them or what would you say uh would be helpful yes no what I'll say to those that want to be allies um you know something that's different this time around that I appreciate is there's a narrative of you know here are resources here are resources you know do not ask your black friends to be your teachers. There are resources. Uh, and so I appreciate that. Like you can put into Google, like how to be a good ally. And literally you'll get so many hits on like books to read, podcasts to listen to, documentaries to watch. And so 
I think there, there are a lot of resources. So I encourage those that do want to be an active ally, start with self-education, you know, like there's you no know, Netflix alone has so, and I think now they're all like recommended documentaries. Like there's so many, you know, things that you can watch at least get you up to speed on the history. Um, because, you know, a lot of the true history was never taught. You know, I was able to learn it. I took a lot of African-American studies classes in college, um, but those are required classes. So, you know, get the background, get the history. I think it's widely av available via Netflix, via podcasts. Um, and then really being open. Like, no, don't listen to it with the mindset of, well, let me shoot down why all these things are wrong. Truly listen to it because these are people's lived experiences. I think that's a really good first step. Yeah, I um, thank you for sharing that. And it's just so exhausting, like, again, with like wanting people to be educated. But when all of these people are like calling and texting on a daily basis, like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Uh, that's why I'm like a huge fan of like blogs, articles, podcasts, just anything where we can disseminate information to large volumes of people at once. Uh, so we're mm -hmm. not having to have the conversation with people like individually. Uh, but that's that's such a good point that you make. There's so many resources available. And I've watched some of those uh, documentaries on Netflix. 13th was awesome. Have you mm -hmm. watched anything uh, in particular that you like recommend or that you really like? You know, I really, 13th was great. Um, I, I've yet to bring myself to watch when they see us because I know it's going to break my heart. I have two younger brothers. And me and my sister are like, oh, we haven't had the heart to see it. Uh, but other people should. Um, and actually, Chelsea Handler has this documentary, which is a bit provocative. It is Chelsea Handler. Um, and I, it's on Netflix. I want to say it's called White Privilege. But, um, you know, I, I think she does an, a good job of, like, you know, talk approaching white privilege head on as a white woman and just as a comedian she's able to kind of poke fun at herself mm. and um really show like hey like this exists and I was not privy to it before but now I am and what can I do um and so I think that probably could be a good um avenue that way that that way it's less about like almost like like knocking you over the head with it and more so like hey you know I'm a white person this is new for me I'm I'm learning I'm going to make mistakes but if we truly want to dismantle racism we need to be able to step into the uncomfortable that's so that a good one. yeah it's so funny that you say that I actually watched it and and liked it as well I heard some criticisms and I know there are people in the other camp that are like, why do white people get to be the voice for like the black experience, which I, I get it. And I do feel like as black people, we definitely need to have, you know, strong voices within our own community. Uh, but sometimes because I've realized I'm also reading white fragility, which I think is great. But sometimes as a black person, they're not under things. They're not things that I understand about the white experience. So it's really interesting to take a white person who can break it down to other white people who are like, you might feel like this, this, and this, but let me tell you what I've learned. And I think for a lot of white people that hits different 
because it's not this assumption of like, you're just self-interested and you want more perks Mm -hmm. for you. It's like, oh no, you're actually explaining something to me that I can like hear. And uh, granted, like, yes, that's frustrating that people that there have been like black people who've been saying what Chelsea Handler has been saying for years and no one pays attention. And then Chelsea Handler says it and white people are like, we get it. But at the same time, like I get that if somebody kind of looks like you and has your experience, they might be able to have conversation and that resonates with you in like a very different way. So yeah, I'm, I like the documentary a lot. Yeah. And I think, I think it'll reach people who like, you know, me and you could never read, you know, there's going to be white people who just w- do not want to hear about racism from a black person, you know, they just, they don't want to hear it, but they might be open to hearing it from Chelsea Handler, you know, from Chelsea Handler. So yeah. like, I almost view it as we need to, you know, like the, these first responder allies, it's like, now go for it and go, you know, talk to those white people who we can never reach. Well, um, thank you so much. I want to be mindful of your time. I know that you are a busy, busy woman um, for just jumping on this call and for having this conversation. I appreciate you so, 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 so much. And, you know, I think our community as in the Black community, but also the world at large is just lucky to have you and your voice. And I'm so glad that you're using it. This has been so great. Thank you so, so much for inviting me. This was so much fun. And I'm I'm excited to see what else you do. Um, and also when you're done recording, I would still like to just even catch up with you if you have the time. Of course. Um, so thank you everybody for listening. Um, this has been a great conversation and I will see you next time on Sworn Testimonies. That concludes this week's episode. I want to say for those of you who are thinking about starting your own podcast, I actually have a new course that will teach you exactly how to start a podcast, how to edit your podcast, how to distribute your podcast, and how to make money from your podcast. If you want more information, you can visit www.kiaraimani.com. Until next week. Just be honest. 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 Just be hon